Welcome to another episode of Just Jerry Live, Plotting Perspectives in Church Life with Todd Bryant. And Jeff Short. And Jeff Short. How about that? What's going on? Well, things are a little shaky. I'm trying to get my studio legs back. You know, it's it's been a while, so uh feels a little feels a little weird, but uh I'm hoping as we go along here that things will smooth out. I've always been told that I really had a face for radio, so you know, I, I feel like I'm just sort of a natural for it. You are a natural, a natural something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tom Ross always told me I was a natural example of human depravity. So whatever that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Tom Ross is always right. So I'll have to agree with him. You know, he told me that one time. (laughs) Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. He's a good guy. We've certainly enjoyed his, his, uh, friendship over the years. Look, we've got a a topic today that's a, a little bit different, sort of, uh, theological topic in a way, but I think hopefully by the time we get done, we'll look at some real practicality relative to this topic. This is one of those topics that we had down when we initially put down a list, and I know we've migrated through a number of other topics and as people have talked to us about some things, but this was one of the first ones that we wanted to talk about a year or so back when we started doing these things. Plurality of elders, sort of a you know, out there topic for many people today. Some people have never even heard of it before. If we talk about plurality of elders, what does that mean? Elders would refer to uh, an office of leadership in the church. It's a word that's used in the New Testament interchangeably with words like bishop, overseer. We would probably most often today say pastor. But a plurality just refers to the fact of, of being there being a team, uh, a group uh, that would be in leadership of the church. Okay, so I, I've got, you know, friends that have, you know, been in Baptist churches all their life. I've been in Baptist church all my life. And I, and I was actually told recently, you know, I've just never seen a history of plurality of elders in any Baptist church that I've ever been in. It's it's not anything that I'm used to. And I think that's true. You know, it is rare today to see more than one elder in a Baptist church. You may see, you know, a, a lay elder, as we call it, a guy that's not formally ordained or voted in as an elder who just happens to be a member of a church. But in as far as formally recognizing more than one man as a as an elder, in an office of the church. It is rare today, but is that the case in Baptist history? Is that Do we see Baptist history that has plurality, and is that a more recent thing to have a single-led eldership? It certainly is in history, um, and I think there was a book uh, I read several years ago, uh, Phil Newton, and I'm thinking the book might be entitled Elders in Congregational Life. I I didn't look that up, but um, and I think the members maybe been a new edition. But one of the questions that he was uh, trying to answer in that book is is the question of elders in Baptist history. And of course, in Baptist history, uh, churches did typically have a plurality of elders. If you have a mention of it at all, there typically is. It seems like for whatever reason that that just about coming out of the 19th century, going into the 20th century, that 
as far as Baptist churches are concerned, that just about all but disappeared. Um, so for us, we're dealing with a century of really not seeing that. And uh, so it is seen as something strange to people today. You know, even when you think about guys that are very well known, it's arguable that Charles Spurgeon is the most well-known, at least Baptist pastor from the 1800s, arguably the most well-known pastor. But I mean, he had plurality of elders in the church there and he he was really well known and people obviously flocked to hear him preach but even though he was popular he still had men who were ordained into the office of elder that that led the church with him is that what you found to be the case in in more than one example uh that is true and i i think spurgeon it was a pretty large number uh of elders that he had there actually as well but uh, it's it's been common. Um, I was reading not too long ago um, some biographical information on John Gill, and um, you know he had elders as well. I think uh, you going back again to Benjamin Keach, and you know had elders, and I think even wrote some something about that. So it's it's certainly there throughout Baptist history. It's it's just been a more recent development. Uh, that we have seen uh, churches without a plurality of elders. Okay, so history is great, and and we we appreciate history, and and we advocate reading history. But the nuts and bolts of our ministry is what does the Bible say? You know, so are there any biblical examples of plurality of elders? And I know you are presently preaching through the book of Acts. So I'm going to give you a little bit of leeway to talk about this, the the development of the office of the elder and the examples there of the office of elder. You know, that's a, it's an interesting question. And I have been, I'm, I'm about halfway through Acts currently and seeing that development, you turn over to, first Timothy or to Titus and you have qualifications for the office of an elder and but going through the book of Acts I've been noticing you know how did how did that develop where did elders come from Um, because it seems like they're just sort of there Uh, and that was a that was a puzzling question to me for a time and uh, because there's not there's not an there's not an official place or passage that you can turn to where Peter says, okay, now we're going to create an office called elders in the church and so on. Um, it just happened uh, much more organically than that. Would you say that the office of apostle obviously began with, with multiple apostles, 12, and that office just sort of naturally gives way as you go through that early church history, biblical church history? That office just sort of gives way to elders when the when the office of apostle goes away. It does, you know. In the first church in Jerusalem, you had twelve apostles, and they were the leadership of the church. Um, by the time you get to Acts six, you you see that the church has grown to a point that they're being pulled in various directions and are not able to really keep up, and they appoint the seven. Um, to look over the daily ministration to the widows. And, you know, there is where I think you have the the seeds of what would eventually become the office of a deacon. Um, but 
but as the as the church in Jerusalem grew, and then not long after that, you have the church beginning to spread. The, there there are churches being planted now in other places, and you know there are only there are only so many apostles. Um, the apostles were a specific um, office; they were a specific function for a specific group, um, and they were not going to continue with the church throughout the age. So obviously leadership was needed, and you can see the apostles setting that up. And so by the time you get to Acts uh, 11, for instance, you have mentions of elders in the church at Jerusalem, and I think that might be the first mention, uh, alongside the apostles. So there's a distinction between elders in the church at Jerusalem and apostles that were in the church at Jerusalem. And from there, obviously, as more and more churches were planted, uh, you didn't have apostles in these other churches, but you did have elders. I've always thought it was interesting at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. You just get through preaching that section? I did. Anyway, I've always thought that it was interesting that, you know, Paul and Barnabas go there with this question about circumcision. And the, the apostles obviously are leaders in that discussion, but Luke is very specific that the elders are also part of that discussion relative to circumcision. Did you did you notice that as you were working through that chapter? Well, it's interesting. Luke mentions the apostles and the elders, and when you read through what happened there in Jerusalem, and ultimately Luke points out that the whole church came to this agreement. In fact, he uses language that indicates it was a unanimous agreement that the church came to. And though the apostles were there and involved, it the way that Luke writes it and presents us to it, it really was the elders in the church at Jerusalem, and particularly James, uh, who was not an apostle, uh, the, the half-brother of Jesus, who was an elder in the church at Jerusalem. And he particularly um, had the lead in that uh, in that whole incident. Yeah, and you notice that I know, I know you know this. You're preaching through Acts again, um, but every use of the word, the Greek word presbyteros, which is translated elders, every one of those uses in Acts is plural, right? Yes, I can't think of any any singular usage um, unless it was, you know, like referring to James as an elder. But typically, just like, you know, Paul's first missionary journey um, in uh, Acts chapter 14, before you get to the Jerusalem council, um, he and Barnabas had gone through various cities um, there in Antioch of Pisidia and Derbe and Lystra and, and Iconium. And when they start on their way back, you find that they had planted churches there. And as they start on their way back, they're going back through these cities. They're visiting these churches and they're going to end up back in Antioch and Syria. But as they, as they're on their way back, um, you know, chapter 14, verse 23 mentions the fact that they ordained or appointed elders, plural, in every church, singular. And that's the typical pattern. Yeah. And, and that, that pattern actually continues after the book of Acts. You know, it talks in First Timothy about the council of elders that laid their hands on Timothy. I think the, the King James actually translates that presbytery. Right. Um, in, first, in First Timothy 5, Paul tells Timothy, let the elders who rule well be worthy of double honor. Of course, you know, Timothy is there at Ephesus where we know there was a plurality from Acts 20. So 
Right. He's, he's speaking about that. Titus appointed elders in every town, which would have been, you know, one church in every town normally back in those days. James talks about calling the elders of the church to pray over the sick. So the, the use of the word in plurality in Scripture is just overwhelming, almost. It, that's the normal way that you see it used and to see the office of apostle give way to a you know a multiplicity of leaders just seems natural since there were 12 apostles it just seems normal that there would be multiple elders after the apostles left i mean it's, it would be difficult to comprehend one elder replacing 12 apostles right Okay, so I mentioned Timothy there in Ephesus. Ephesus obviously had a plurality of elders from Acts 20. We know that. But Timothy seems to be the lead guy in the way that Paul wrote to him, at least. So can, can there still be a lead elder, or maybe we would call him a, a senior pastor or even just just pastor today? Can there be a lead guy if a church has uh, multiple elders? I think that that will generally will be the case. And you see that example with James, uh, again, there in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, he was an elder. There are elders, plural, referred to in Jerusalem. There's a distinction between the elders and the apostles in the church at Jerusalem. But James is referred to as being in a, a senior sort of position of leadership. Um, so I think it is quite common that you're, you know, you're going to have um, one that's going to be in that uh, lead position, senior position, what, whatever you want to call it. And I think, you know, during different times, people may use different titles. That doesn't really matter. But I think that is common that you're going to see that. You're going to see a, a senior or a, or a lead elder, like with James, like with Timothy in Ephesus for a time. I think that's pretty common. Well, and, and that, I think that was probably the case with the apostles to some extent. You know, I, Peter seems to be the spokesman for the apostles oftentimes. He was not in any way the pope. That's a somewhat silly right. argument. But he he still was seemingly the leader, not only in the Gospels, but when you move into Acts, you know, you repeatedly see Peter standing up as the voice. So Having a leader among a group, I think, is not only biblical, but it's just somewhat natural. Right. Okay, so different groups have, you know, had plurality of elders over the years. Baptists have had plurality of elders, as we've talked about, but so have Presbyterians and, and other other groups have had those. One of the distinctions that I think needs to be made is the distinction between elder-led, where the elders lead the congregation, and elder-rule. And I, I think sometimes when you speak about the plurality of elders, not maybe on purpose, but people immediately think elder-rule. Now, we're, we're not talking about the elders ruling and making every decision for the congregation, right? No, we're not. And that is very common uh, when you talk about plurality of elders, uh, it seems like most people generally think of an elder rule model, but really what the Bible teaches us is actually a congregational model for the local church. So even there at the Jerusalem council, Peter's, the way that Luke um, frames this, this whole meeting for us with the church there, Peter's um, speech uh, or message or whatever you want to call it, uh, was very important. You know, Paul and Barnabas gave 
a confirming witness to what Peter was was saying. And James, uh, as an elder of the church, obviously a, a, a leading elder there, you know, he steps in and what he does is to talk about the experience as far as what Peter's seeing, what Paul and Barnabas are experiencing, what they were seeing in terms of salvation of Gentiles. And then he goes back to scripture and he shows how that previously revealed or, or written scripture, that this is entirely consistent with um, prior revelation. And then after that, you know, Luke makes a point of saying that, that the whole church uh, agreed to this. So at the end of the day, Peter, Peter's words had a lot of influence. Uh, James's words, he was obviously exercising a leadership. Um, but that at the end of the day, Luke is pointing out that the whole congregation made that decision to write that letter to the Gentiles um, in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. So uh, even if you go back to the first church in Jerusalem in chapter one, when they were going to replace Judas, um, you know, Peter addresses the congregation um, and he goes, you know, he goes back to scripture. He, you, we see him there providing leadership and then the whole church um, agreed to this. And the same thing in the book of Acts with the appointment of the seven. Uh, Peter speaks up. He provides leadership and scriptural guidance. And then the church makes that decision. They chose the seven men um, and then began to use them. And that, and that goes on and on throughout um, the New Testament. So the model of, of church, uh, of the local church, is a congregational model. You know, that's where the authority is. The congregation decides to act and the elders are there for leadership. They're there for, for teaching, um, for discipleship. Uh, they're there obviously for spiritual guidance. You know, they're there as a leadership function, but not merely there to just simply, you know, well, the elders decide everything and and basically rule over the church and then that's just that's a model we don't see in the new testament well i'll also say when jesus is talking to his to his early church there about excommunication and in matthew 18 he speaks of telling this issue to the church if the person doesn't hear the church there to excommunicate them we actually find that in practice when Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Now, we need to remember Paul's normal practice was you know, putting, putting elders in every church. But when he writes to Corinth, he tells the church as a whole to excommunicate this man who is having this, this relationship with what appears to be his stepmother. Right. And in 2 sec- in Corinthians, he actually talks about the majority that voted this man out. So yeah. absolutely, we see congregational rule in the New Testament. That doesn't mean that elders don't lead, though. Somebody has to be a leader. right? And it's such a leadership that the writer of Hebrews actually says, obey your leaders. And I, by the way, I'll, I'll say again, that's plural. Right. But obey your leaders and submit to them for their keeping watch over your souls. Now, this doesn't mean obey them when they're wrong. Obviously, you should keep them in check and make sure that they're preaching the truth. But leaders, if they're preaching the Bible, should be followed. So there is a there is a, a good way to approach that. That is, I don't I don't know how to say it exactly, 
Well, that's actually a good point because yes, the elders are there for leadership. Um, they're obviously there in a teaching function. So the, the elders are there to labor in the word and the doctrine, you know, the teaching, the preaching of the word. Um, they're there to bring the scripture to bear on whatever the situation is that the church is seeing. But for instance, when you look at the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to that church and essentially is holding them accountable for what was being taught there. So there again, you see that congregational authority. A congregation is responsible for what's being taught. So if if a congregation has a pastor, an elder, what have you, in the pulpit who is preaching error, um, who is mishandling the word of God, uh, who is not preaching the gospel or is preaching um, some other gospel, then that congregation is responsible to to guard and protect that pulpit and should remove uh, such a one. And, and depending on what's going on, there's maybe various approaches that might be taken to deal with that. But uh, Paul obviously saw the church at Galatia, uh, the Galatian church that he was writing to, he, he saw that church as responsible for what was being taught there. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, that's just clear that the congregation does retain the authority, but we still should respect the office of, of an elder. Certainly. So now, you know, we have plurality here. You don't have plurality where you're at at this current time. So we're not in any way saying that if you don't have a plurality of leadership, you are unchurched or you're not properly functioning or anything like that. We're not making that point. Nobody's saying that. Certainly not. We're just talking about the normal biblical example here. Right. What, what should, should we always, though, have a goal of trying to move to plurality? I, I have a reason for asking you that. Well, I do think it should be a goal. I mean, if that is the if that's the pattern of what we see, uh, and I do believe it is, then uh, that certainly should be the goal. And aside from that, you know, there are very practical um, reasons for you know having a, a plurality of leadership. Well, now you're moving into the question that I was going to ask. You didn't even give me a chance to ask it. Well, that was a prophetic moment for me. <laughs> So what are the benefits then? If God has is established a, a multiple leader scenario, a plurality of elders in local churches, what is the benefit for the church and for the elders themselves? Let's start with the church. When you look at a plurality of, of leadership, um, you you realize that, first of all, I think that culturally we're very different today. Um, than the times written in the, you know, during the writing of the New Testament. Culturally today, we have, we have a, a celebrity type mentality. And, you know, so we think of the, the big guy and, uh, you know, we think of that one. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times churches are simply built around the, the large personality of quote unquote, the pastor. So, you know, a plurality of eldership is just seen as a, as a confusion, a distraction, um, maybe even just a, a conflict. Um, but that's, that's not at all what you see in the New Testament. The um, plurality of, of eldership, first of all, if, if you really understand what it is that a pastor is doing, I, I mean, I just don't see how, you know, any one man is going to be 
um, sufficient to be able to take care of the church fully. And there's just, uh, there's just too much there. For one thing, you just simply take the requirement to study and to teach and to, and to apply scripture to the congregational life. And I mean, that could, that could well occupy a man more than full time. Um, just, just, just the teaching and preaching alone. And, but there are other things that are needed, you know, counseling and uh, discipleship and, and evangelism and, and, you know, various other things that are required. So um, one of the benefits to a church and having a, a group of spiritually minded and qualified and capable men who are in leadership, um, then the needs of the church uh, are going to be met um, in, in a much uh, a much fuller way. Um, decisions are going to come about. I mean, even if you you know you think about the Book of Proverbs and um, you know having a number of counselors is seen as wisdom. So all, the, the eldership is is intended to uh, work together uh, in order to take care and see to the needs of the church and. Really, uh, the the needs of a church are just are just such that there's there's no one man that's going to be able to fulfill all that. You know, one of the concerns that I have heard voiced is that if you have three or four guys teaching, in, in, you know, in the pulpit of a church, they may teach different quote unquote truths, and that could lead to confusion. I think from the flip side of that, though, we need to realize that there there is a system of checks and balances in having several guys. Certainly, let me let me give you let me give you a for instance, not related to eldership. I prefer a Bible that has been translated by a group rather than one man. For for instance, William Tyndale did an absolutely great thing for us, and we all owe him a great debt for translating the Bible into English. He actually sacrificed his life for the translation of the Bible into English. However, I would prefer a translation such as the King James Version that had a a group of people translating it uh, rather than a one guy. I think you are left to more likelihood of error. Right. Not, not, pur- not purposeful error, perhaps, but error nonetheless. When you look at leadership, in a church, one guy on purpose or not on purpose can make mistakes that if he had two or three counselors with him, elders that are serving alongside him, they can keep him in check, keep him in balance and help him. I think the likelihood of abuse of power is more likely with just one guy than it is with four or five. I'm not saying that four or five couldn't do it, but if they are chosen by the church as spiritual men who meet the qualifications outlined in First Timothy and Titus, the likelihood that a church has the abuse of power from a group is just a whole lot less likely. Would you agree? I'd agree with that. I, I think it ultimately leads to uh, greater stability and longevity in a church. You know, if you just have one elder that's the pastor, then um, if he is you know, maybe due to health reasons has to retire, step down, or perhaps even, you know, dies or uh, leaves maybe for some other reason. Well, then the church brings in uh, a new pastor 
and they're they're almost starting over you know every every time they would have a change like that so transitions can be a lot more rocky whereas if you have uh, a team uh, it may be someone within uh, that would be put into that lead position uh, and obviously that would probably be ideal in a lot of circumstances but even if someone comes from without you're not having a total change to the leadership of the church you're just um, you're bringing in someone and is going to work with elders that are already in place. Um, and it should lead to a, a smoother transition. And I'm just talking uh, the health of a church, the longevity of a church, and, you know, just the, just the long-term picture of a church continuing, you know, into another generation. I, I agree that, that plurality, I'm not going to use the word guarantees that a church will be there. That's That's probably going a bit too far, but it is... It is necessary for for good health. I, I've seen way too many times that a that a pastor, a good, solid, you know, preacher that, that has been a great leader for decades, you know, loses his health or perhaps even passes away, and and the church just fades off because there was no other leadership there. I think that could have been solved by you know the the plurality being there. And somebody can step up even during the pastor search if the man comes from outside. Someone can step up. Let me let me share this. We've we've obviously had plurality here for several years now, and I remember meeting with a, a couple that joined our church not too terribly long ago, and they were greatly encouraged that we had plurality and leadership because the Bible seemed central to them. It, it didn't matter who was in the pulpit; the focus wasn't on the leader. The focus was on the scripture. Now, the way that the way that I preach is going to sound different perhaps than the way that the other two guys do. We all have our own personality, but the goal of rightly dividing God's word is the same. And it, it, it is, the, we, we all three want to teach what God's word says. And that was important to these people that were joining our church. And even when I'm gone, because I've had the opportunity to preach in other you know, places, Bible conferences and such. I, I just don't have to worry about who's going to be in the pulpit and what they're going to preach. They just continue on as if I'm there almost. So it, it's been a great benefit to the church and to me. Let me say this also. Personally, I have experienced an uh, almost unexpected benefit. I, I've I've really, in 20 years of pastoring, I've only had plurality here for, like I say, just a few years. So I had to bear the brunt of stress and anxiety and and the things that people don't know that happen in the life of the pastor. There's a great burden there as a pastor in a lot of ways, at least at certain times in ministry. To have guys that I can go and talk to about the issues in the church, it has been a great help to me personally as the pastor here. Do you, do you think, and by the way, it has been well established that pastors suffer from anxiety more than people often know. We see way too many pastors that ultimately commit suicide, and that's another, that's another discussion down the road. I've never been at that point, but that's another discussion. But my point being, are we missing a little bit of help personally as pastors because we don't have plurality? Do you think that's one of the reasons that God instilled plurality into the office? I certainly do. I mean, even, and even just beyond the pastor to his family as well, you know, his wife and, and children, if you're, if you have a plurality of, of elders, 
you, you know, you're, you're distributing that load, you know, you're helping to bear one another's burdens and, and are able to relieve, uh, you know, some of that, some of that stress and anxiety and, and some of the difficulties that come, uh, for, for the man that's an elder, but as just as much for his wife and for, uh, even for his children to some degree. You know, one of the, one of the great benefits that I've been able to enjoy since we gone that direction is this sounds strange probably to the average layperson, but just being able to sit by my wife during the Lord's supper, that's something I was never able to do for, you know, 16 years. And, and now, I mean, I do serve the Lord's table sometimes, but not all the time. And me being able to sit by her during that, or just sit by her during a a service and watch how she outlines as she she's an outliner as she's listening to preaching. I, I've been so encouraged to watch her so interested because I've never been able to see that when I was the single, you know, guy leading the, the church. And and I've noticed just how her interest really is in the preaching and in God's word. And it, it, she has been a great encouragement to me in a way that I never thought possible because I never got to sit by her during church. That that seems kind of a minor point, um, but it's it's really not. It's something that's easy to, I guess, overlook. But uh, you know, as a pastor, you know, just being able to sit with your wife, sit with your children, what have you, it's just it's just something you don't really get to experience and uh, the benefits of that. So yeah, I definitely could see that. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we're we're getting we're getting sort of short on time. I don't I don't want to. Go. We had a few more things we'd like to cover. I'll mention this. Uh, there are qualifications for elders. God is the one that gifts men and enables them to be elders. It is the church's duty to take the qualifications, look at a guy's giftedness, and decide if he is qualified and called to be an elder. Uh, you know, Sometimes the church is going to have to say no. You know, we just don't think you're a good fit. Right. But we, maybe some point in the future, we can delve into those qualifications a little bit more deeply. We certainly don't have time to go into those today. If we just spend, you know, about another 30 minutes, we'll be equal to one of your sermons in time here. Well, that's right. I, I've been trying my best to hit an hour. I haven't quite gotten there yet. Let, let, me, let, me, let me ask this one last question. And we'll sort of close it up. There really are no guidelines for exactly how guys function in plurality. We have an overwhelming amount of scripture that shows us there was plurality. In in fact, apparently in every New Testament situation we see, but we really don't have a lot of instruction on how they functioned. Is that a reason not to do it because we don't have those specific guidelines on how it works? No, not at all. And if you think about there's a lot of specific things that a church faces that are not directly addressed in the New Testament. No doubt one of the reasons for that is that, it, it, you know, the New Testament would be very much larger than it is if it tried to address every possibility that a church could face. Um, and that's so that's a part of the function of elders is being able to you know, take the situations, whatever it is that the church is dealing with, you know, pray about it, um, study it, discuss it, you know, figure out how does the scripture uh, come to bear? How are we going to apply scripture to this situation, um, you know, and, and making the decisions. So 
there is some open-endedness to that, but I think it's just because, you know, churches are intended to be here for this age. You know, it's been 2000 years already and, and in different places and times and in different cultures, we're going to face, we're going to face different challenges and different questions. Um, so we need to be able to, to apply the scripture to those things. Yeah. And, and though there is some open-endedness and some, some, you know, lack of specifics, maybe we use that terminology. Acts 20, Paul's discussion with the church elders in Ephesus does actually have some instruction to them as a group. And then even when we read about Paul's instruction to Timothy as one of the leaders there in Ephesus, we get more instruction that each elder should try to live up to on how to how to read God's word, how to explain God's word, how to apply God's word. Those things that Paul tells Timothy are are instruction for every elder in every church. So there no, there's not specific guidelines for how the group maybe functions, but there there are specific things that we are instructed to do as church leaders. Right. So and and by the way, plenty that we need to try to live up to. <laughs> Absolutely. Is there anything that you'd like to add to it or or does that at least get us started on this conversation? Well if that don't get us started, I don't know what will. <laughs> Facebook keeps telling me that we haven't posted anything in a while, so maybe this will stop some of the notifications there, and uh, <laughs> maybe it'll get some folks excited about just just thinking thinking biblically for a little bit. Hopefully so. All right. It's been good. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Just Jerry Live. We'll see you next time. <laughs>